right, guys, welcome to the Zenfluence podcast. I have a special guest today, an entrepreneur, someone who is involved in real estate, someone who is involved in online marketing, as well as business consulting and coaching. But I'll let uh, Mark Walker explain exactly what he does. But before we even jump into this convo, I want to talk about how I met Mark. Um, I met him through a sales and entrepreneurship uh, training course, and I saw that he was really established and you know, teaching a lot of the students there, and we connected and clicked. And he, ha he has a very fascinating story uh, over from the UK. So I want to interview him, I want to have a conversation with him, I want to learn from him and, and see, pick his brain on entrepreneurship and uh, just overall success in general. So. Uh, with that, I guess I'll pass it over to you, Mark, and let you introduce yourself and then maybe dive into your story after that. Yeah, Je Jeremy, first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity of presenting to your audience and to everyone listening to this podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to present for the next 45, 60 minutes, whatever we, we end mm -hmm. up doing, Jeremy. I think last time we were probably on for well over an hour, just mm -hmm. chatting away about yeah, business and entrepreneurship and marketing and sales and things we have to do in the 21st century. The first thing for me to, of course, announce is I live in the UK. You can probably tell I have an English accent. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're keeping well, safe, happy and healthy. And anything I can add value-wise after the podcast, uh, by all means, track me down online. My name is Mark Walker. I'm known by the media as the business builder. I've been an entrepreneur for 36 years. I cover wealth creation for myself and for my private clients. And I'll only ever teach you and show you how to create wealth from the things that I do. So I'm not somebody that reads a book and makes out that I'm an expert and promotes it. I'm not going to teach you next week how to do brain surgery because I read the dummy's guide to brain surgery. Mm -hmm. But I will teach you how to make money in the 21st century. And there's never been a better opportunity for everybody listening to this podcast today, wherever you are on the planet, to create a business and or create financial wealth and income for yourself from very low starting points, including some of the individual items I train in the UK, which is actually cash-free to start a business. So Jeremy, by all means, pick a question, fire it to me. Let's, let's <laughs> add some massive value into your audience's ears whilst they're listening there. 100% Mark. Well, I guess if we could dive into, you know, your story of how, like, or actually, I guess before you even going into that, like what type of entrepreneurship do you specialize in? What type of real estate do you specialize in? And then I guess maybe we could backlog it to, you know, from when you were a young man to, how, where you are now and, and that story. Sure. So the big thing to remember about business is, and I know you were asking me, for example, with real estate, how to break it down sort of residential or commercial. The thing mm -hmm. about business is it doesn't really matter what you go into, as long as you go into it with a passion, as long as it's something that you enjoy doing. Because when you go into something with a passion, you already have some information about the product or the service. And what we're doing in business is providing a product or a service to a marketplace, charging a price for that service or product, and we're being paid. Now, hopefully, if you've got the maths right within your business, the money you have coming in as your gross income is going to be much higher than your expenditure, and therefore you make a profit. And it's mm -hmm. that profit element that I focus on for my clients, how to maximize your business, how to create multiple streams of income from the same business, how to, instead of outsourcing some of the products you might wish to buy, how to buy or acquire another business that's promoting or producing or supplying you with their items, how to acquire that business so that you can then have your money staying within your own business. Just makes sense. Stop, mm -hmm. paying out for, stop paying out for paper cups for a coffee shop if you can buy or acquire a coffee cup manufacturer because then they're your coffee cups. So things like that. So it's not so much about um, splitting an individual 
uh, niche down or business down. I have businesses that cover all sorts of niches, um, from uh, bricks and mortar businesses to business support services to printing services to an online national uh, prize draw competition or a lottery, some may know of it around the globe. Um, it's not actually a lottery in the UK. It is called a prize draw competition. Uh, mm. and, and lots of other businesses in between, which we'll, we'll touch on and cover as we go through this podcast. But it's very important for everyone listening to realize it's more about what your passion is. My passion is about creating businesses. I can very quickly identify a business that's worth investing in and decide whether I'll invest in it with physical cash or whether I'll give some of my time and just take an equity share in that business. I have a number of businesses that I do uh, that for with ex-clients that re you know retain my services for a number of months, in one particular case over a year. And then I took an equity share in their business. So I remain not only their business mentor, I'm also a friend of theirs as well now, but I still get paid a residual income for the support that I give that business because I'm mm -hmm. passionate about that particular business. So that can work as well. So anybody listening in, if they think they haven't got lots of money to uh, start their own business, well, as I said before, you don't necessarily need a lot of money to start a business. So, so I guess coming back, like, so, so you're definitely a serial entrepreneur, but um, I think the thing that's interesting to me is how you kind of got there, right? And um, let's say if you go back to your childhood, like, were you the type that knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur as a kid, or was it something you kind of stumbled into? Um, how did you even get introduced to entrepreneurship? Sure. I'm, I do, I don't have a, let, let me turn that around just slightly, because it's a podcast and I want me to be chuckling away in their car whilst they listen to this. There are a lot of stories online, a lot of sad stories, and to be fair, a lot of made-up stories from individuals that, you know, lived on a park bench, mm -hmm. lost everything, were eating the crumbs from down the back of their sofa, then they stumbled across an amazing idea. I don't have any of those stories. You know, I come from a business family. We've been in business for hundreds of years. Um, when you and I first connected, Jeremy, and I shared my family history um, with you, it, it is there in black and white. We owned a considerable amount of land in the middle of uh, Birmingham City in the United Kingdom, which was just to the east of the big national railway network. We were literally, you stepped off platform one and you were at our premises. And that was my great, great grandparents' property. And that was coaching and stabling, restaurants, rooms, laundry services, uh, stabling services, I think I've just said that, stabling services um, for the city centre of Birmingham. And they, and they ran that very successfully for, for probably, think about nearly 100 years. Mm -hmm. And by the time photography came along, there were black and white photographs. I share them fairly often on social media. And obviously with anybody that wants to see a copy of them, they're there. They're also archived in the museums of Birmingham City because the buildings were of historic interest at the time because of the, the age of them. And the reason that the family moved out of that particular property, well, there were three properties together, uh, is because they, um, after the Second World War, they redeveloped the city centre of Birmingham. And there's a huge shopping centre or a shopping mall for all of our US and Canadian friends watching and listening. Um, <laughs> and they, they, they turned it into a huge shopping centre called the Bull Ring Shopping Centre. So people can, you know, Google those terms, they can come up with the names, they can see the size of the land. And it was a considerable plot. So that was the family history going all the way through uh, up until just after the Second World War. My family then moved away from the Birmingham area, but still owning lots of hospitality businesses. So my family have always been into entertaining clients in one way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Then that led on to uh, my grandfather having an engineering business. He was an officer in the Navy, came out of the Navy, started an engineering business. So I was brought up as the first grandchild with lots of business being spoken about all the time. I was encouraged to be part of those conversations. And that really led to by the time I was eight, I was itching to be doing something to make some money. 
So mm. I started cutting people's lawns and hedges and weeding the garden on a Sunday and being paid whatever it was in those days. In, in, I'm talking British currency, of course, but three pounds on a Saturday or on a Sunday or five pounds for doing the lawn and the hedge or you know, whatever it was that was you know, required. And I very quickly learned that actually I could get five pounds for cutting this lawn and hedge. But I could give my friend just down the road three pounds, get him to do the job. I'd pocket two pounds and I'd go and do another job and then get another five pounds. So from an early age, without understanding all the terminology, everyone listening to this will be going, yeah, Mark, that's called leverage. We know that. We know that as adults. But as a child growing up, realising that you can leverage other people's services has meant that by the time I was 17 years of age, 17 and a half to be specific, I started working at a nightclub in Worcester. Worcester's my home city. Mm -hmm. And from just being a barman and going up the ranks very quickly over a short number of months, but getting to know the staff, getting to know the manager, getting to know the owners of the club and the doorman, because I was because I was only 17 and a half. People have said in the past, well, you, you weren't even able to serve alcohol in the UK. It's 18 years of age. Well, I was six foot two. And believe it or not, Jeremy, in those days, I had a lot of curly hair. So I got away with it is the bottom line. And that is another valuable lesson in business. You know, you often hear the thing of fake it till you make it. I didn't mm -hmm. fake it with them. I just applied for a job. I was tall. I was quite chatty. I could hold a conversation with an adult because I was brought up to have business conversations. And I secured the job as a barman. However, with just, within just a few months, the manager on a Friday night let on to me that he was moving back to London because he was relocating. He'd, he'd done his sort of three, four years up in Worcester, and he wanted to go back. But he couldn't find, and the company couldn't find, a suitable manager to take over. And I just said to him, as simple as, do you know what, David? If I had an opportunity, I would love to run this club. Within an hour and a half, two hours, he had me sat up in the director's office in front of the directors, and I was offered the job within two minutes. It was a simple case of David's vouched for you. You've worked here for several months. We've seen your work ethic. If he says you can do the job, you can have a crack at it. And I then found myself being then the assistant nightclub manager before my 18th birthday, eventually taking over when I was 18 and running the club for two years. Oh, that yeah. two-year period, you know, I, I look back with very fond memories. I'm still friends with David. Um, I'm still connected with him through social media. He's the manager that I took over from. I'm still connected and very, very good friends with the second DJ that I worked with. And uh, the, the club itself was built in a Methodist church. And at the back, we lived in the old vicarage in the grounds of the graveyard. Um, and we shared uh, individual apartments in the, in the vicarage. And we've been friends now for 35 years. Um, and, you know, an amazing gentleman, helped him grow one of his businesses uh, online as well to be the largest DJ training company on the planet at the time when we launched. We launched before all the other things came along, you know, years before um, Facebook and YouTube and all the other things that are very easy to create new platforms nowadays, again, which is why I shared at the beginning of the podcast. It's very easy for individuals to set up companies nowadays or businesses and to create an income. So I ran that club for two years, uh, mainly through that club. It, it's really where I honed my skills in creating multiple streams of income. It's one of the things I'm known for. The club originally was only open three days a week. By the time I left the club, we were open six days a week. I brought in lots of other deals with people who wanted to have the facility of the size of the dance floor. You know, we had aerobics, for example. I had weight loss groups that uh, were in the VIP lounge at the back because that was the more luxurious seating and tables. Mm -hmm. uh, we, did, we did festivals and we did exhibitions. We did alternative music nights. Now, all of these things were generating new income and new income. Now, it, 
I sat there when I saw that I had all of these um, assets around me, but they weren't being utilized as an opportunity to do something with them. So I spoke to the directors and I said, hey, guys, um, you know, if I open up the club on any other night, do you think I could, you know, take a cut of the profits that we make? Absolutely. They said, what, what do you think uh, you would want? Now, again, I was 70, well, 17 and a half, touching 18 still. I was still doing the training, but I understood we were only open Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. And I said, well, how about if, how about if I split it 50-50 with you? Well, of course, these guys weren't even living in Worcester. They lived in London. They travelled up at weekends, you know, to their own club. So for them, it, it was easy money. They were going to make 50% of, of, of doing nothing mm-hmm. whilst the club would have stood there empty. So again, it's valuable for everyone listening to this, Jeremy, to say to themselves, what am I doing at the moment? And what what holes do I have in that business where I could plug it with something? You know, do I run um, a restaurant or a public house that's only open five days a week? Can I get somebody in to help for the other two days? Do I have a property business where um, I'm looking after landlords, real estate, uh, but every time they call me for maintenance repair, I just farm it out to somebody else. Can I take somebody else on an hourly rate and make some money out of that person working within my business? When the real estate property becomes empty uh, and the owner says, well, could you get somebody to decorate and maybe the carpets need changing? Well, why don't I own the maintenance business and the carpet business and supply mm-hmm. my own carpets and maintenance? Do you see how you can then take an individual business and create multiple streams of income very easily? 100%. And I guess it's interesting hearing your story, Mark, because it seems like anything, any opportunity that was in front of you, you just kind of went after it, like coming from a strong family in real estate and then getting into the lawn care business as a, as a, as a kid. And then when you're 17, you know, just taking the risk and managing a club, um, I guess from that point, like, where did you go from there? So the club enabled me to buy my first house for cash when I was 18 and a half. I then left the club before my 20th birthday and bought a parcel franchise in the UK. The company still exists today, but under a different name. They gave up the franchise route about 10, 12 years ago. But prior to that... you were 18, you bought like a delivery parcels or... Yeah, so a little bit like a franchise, what would be known in uh, over the pond as like UPS. Oh, that's, 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 that's crazy. Yeah, it, it was a company at the time called Business Post. They now still exist in the United Kingdom. They're known as UK Mail, and they do a lot of postal delivery services rather than parcels and logistics as it was in, in the day when I had my franchise. Uh, and then I ran that for four and a half years. But again, not being content with just having the basic um, trunk of parcels would come in in the morning to the warehouse my warehouse lads would unload them they'd load the vans and the vans would go out not just being content with that as an income there were individual services that business post didn't offer when i first took over we didn't do international parcels for example we didn't have a same day courier division we didn't uh, have any sort of warehousing pallet storage pick and pack distribution service so mm-hmm. i set all of those companies up within my existing franchise and just went to my existing customers that were giving me overnight parcels and said, how do you move your pallets? How do you move your toxic uh, paints or, or acids or cleaning chemicals? Um, do you have to send anything internationally? And then I set up all those other businesses. And the biggest, most lucrative one for me was my courier business, same day courier business. It was, it was a huge business for me. I got that business purely on the back of asking the question. What are the services do you require in your business? And that's where a lot of business owners fail to ask the customers when they walk in the door. A little bit like McDonald's do when they upsell, you know, do you want fries with that? 
Do, you, do, do we want to make it large? You know, they were taught, obviously, they're in the corporate world. But so many SME businesses, small to medium-sized enterprises, entrepreneurs, fail fundamentally to ask the question of their existing customer, what else do you need in your business? So many businesses spend tens of thousands, hundreds, and the bigger firms, even millions of pounds a year on marketing for new customers. But it's actually much easier and far more financially beneficial to service your existing customers better and offer them more products and services that they need and require. So I link in with some of my businesses into those industries as well. The biggest one, of course, is how to make money. You know, people always want to have a little bit more money in the, their pockets uh, you know, at the end of the month. There's that old saying, isn't there, with some people that don't have a lot of money, that at the end of the month, there's more month than money left. Um, you know, yes, I tried to. I've, you've I've already heard that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, and it does happen for individuals. However, you know, living in the digital world that we are, doing what we can do online, anybody with a mobile phone can buy something cheaply and double that price. You know, buy something for a dollar, sell it for two dollars. It's fundamental business. Things like cryptocurrencies that have been around now and have become more established. I'm into the crypto world. I train individuals how to do stocks and shares trading, forex trading, crypto trading. For those that are still a little bit hesitant, you know, about pressing buttons to buy or sell, I point them in the direction of a business opportunity that I'm in that has generated nearly six figures in a year, completely hands-free, completely passive. The money just comes in every time I decide to do a withdrawal from that particular business. And that's a great opportunity. And people can join that opportunity for just a couple of hundred dollars. So it isn't, again, about being a wealthy, high net worth individual that has to put in a six-figure sum to earn a six-figure sum. Mm -hmm. And for those individuals that are entrepreneurial, Jeremy, and they want to grow a business, that particular opportunity I've touched on, and I'm not mentioning names there, that would be very unfair. But, you know, I would just say anybody listening that wants to find out, come and follow me. You'll, you'll see all the stuff that I share for individuals to make more money. That particular, that particular opportunity was something that I studied for a good six months before I bought into it as well. So it, due diligence on opportunities, due diligence on working with a business mentor, again, very important. So, so I guess, um, like, it, it's interesting that you brought up the online space because I guess last time we spoke, Mark, you mentioned how you were one, you got into the online space early. Uh, I think even around the dot-com boom, like you had an online store before Shopify existed. Uh, yes. could, you, could you talk a little bit about, about that? Like, what was it like back then? Sure. Um, a little bit like the Wild West. There wasn't a lot of software around and you had to go and find it. You know, it's a bit like barren lands. Where, where do I get the information and tools that I need? I found a software, an Australian software. It still exists today called Shop Factory Pro. They were the first shopping um, online shopping cart system that had a built-in payment processing software. A lot mm. of the other things, you could set up a website and you'd have to have a click here button um, and then that would go to a page where you take people's details and you have to process them manually. So they were the first one. So I had my first web shop in 1997. That was the year before my, uh, my, my daughter was born and ran that very successfully, selling anything and everything that we could. Then along came eBay, of course. Now, eBay originally was only US based, uh, but I'd heard about it from some friends of mine. And I opened up a, an eBay.com personal account, even though I was based in the UK. And then very quickly, eBay grew, as we know, massively between sort of 98 and the early 2000s. And I saw an opportunity to have uh, two specific businesses, which I ran on eBay, and became very successful. I was chosen of one of the top 100. Uh, nowadays, we use terms like power seller. 
but that wasn't even a term back in those days. So a hundred of us who had the, the highest revenue turnovers and my two businesses in those days were doing over a million pounds a year, again, converting into US dollars, that'd be sort of one and a half million pound each per annum. Uh, we were invited to a meeting that eBay put on in Birmingham, on the outskirts of Birmingham city center in the middle of the UK. And they announced loads of new initiatives for us as their top 100 customers in reality. Uh, one of them was having a power seller status. There was the feedback that they bought in. They also bought in a tool called Turbo Lister, um, which was an auto uh, posting software. You can put everything into Turbo Lister, hit a button, and it would do exactly what it said. It listed everything super fast. Instead of the early days of having to type everything in manually and you couldn't save it, or your, your internet had crashed because we were on dial-up in those days, didn't even have broadband, and you try and upload a photograph you've just taken of you know something you're selling, and it's like three megabytes pixel photo you know it takes 20 minutes to load and then the thing crashes you know they were all good days turbo lister came along made it much easier for the business streamlined the business sold even more products ran that business very successfully for nearly 14 years um, mm. and over those years things happened you know we went from being with a company called BidPay to paypal paypal then eventually sold out and then ebay bought paypal and tried to integrate it they also bought skype tried to integrate skype into ebay it made it a complete nightmare um, you know we had a warehouse operation with random people on ebay ringing my skype uh, you know number in the middle of the warehouse for anyone listening in you know there's nothing worse than you're trying to run a warehouse operation with 50 phone calls a day coming in from people yeah. asking you know how do i get this lawnmower plugged in or or how does this particular um kettle work you know what shade of gunmetal gray is it you know all those sort of questions um, like but they were great times like, yeah. like you were selling lawn care items i guess yeah, so I had the two businesses I had. One was called uh, Garden Tools Direct, and that was everything to do with gardening equipment, both electric and pe petrol powered. Lawnmowers, hedge cutters, chainsaws, blower vacuums, you name it, as long as it was for the garden, we supplied <laughs> it. Um, and then we had trade grade electricals. So that was everything electrical wise for houses. So it's your household domestic items, kettles, toasters, uh, sandwich makers, vacuum cleaners. We did some bigger items as well. Um, in terms of gardening equipment, the biggest thing I sold was ride-on lawnmowers. We'd sell those. And in terms of the biggest things for trade-grade electricals, we went right out to being able to do washing machines and dishwashers. Um, they, they needed specialist you know, uh, service uh, requirements because of the size of them, but we were still happy to do that. And, and as I said, very good, very successful businesses. Back any time between, say, 2000 and 2004, if you'd have put anything into the search bar of Flymo or Petrol Lawmo or anything like that, my company was the top. And of course, when Turbo Lister came out, I was the top of the rankings. Be exactly the same nowadays as being the top ranking of Google or top ranking of YouTube. You know, it was just my company there every time. It was it was great. Wow. And then, well, comp yeah. then, then well, competition came along, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, this is incredible because I think the thing that's so interesting about you, Mark, is how many different like fields and businesses, industries you've touched, like the nightclub industry, lawn care, being a courier, <laughs> like postcards and stuff like delivery, um, electrical, um, online space. And then I think this feeds in nicely because now you do a lot, I know you do a lot of business consulting on top of your real estate, but how did you get into business consulting and, and what does that mean to you? Sure. So I sold my parcel franchise uh, before my 25th birthday. I've literally been in it four and a half years. The original franchise agreement only lasted five years and then you would renew. Uh, but because I had a, a, a tragedy in my life with my partner, we actually lost a child. Um, we, we both didn't really 
cope well Sorry, with that. Sorry, yeah, well, I appreciate that. It's a long time ago now. Um, but at that particular time, you know, I was I was a young, up-and-coming entrepreneur. You know, everything I touched turned to gold. We had amazing cars, amazing, amazing income, amazing lifestyle. We decided to have a family because my partner was um, 11 years older than myself. Uh, and so we had, you know, uh, <laughs> without going through the ins and outs, everyone on the podcast knows how children are, are created. But um, unfortunately, and bless him, he was born and he died. Um, and that really affected me, Jeremy. And the one thing I would say to everybody on this call is that the one thing I did back then is I didn't talk about it. You know, I, it's a one lesson, one of the, my most valuable lessons in life um, is about sharing with others if you have a challenge in your life. You don't have to do necessarily what I see nowadays with everyone sharing their challenges on, you know, social media platforms, um, because you can get just as many trolls and negative um, comments coming back to you. But, but mm. certainly turning to your close family, your close friends, if you're offered support services from doctors, nursing staff, um, you know, psychiatrists even, or psychologists at the time, you know, take, take them up on the offer um, because it really affected myself in the sense that me and my partner then split up. We did remain friends for many years afterwards, um, but in terms of the business, you know, it had to be sold. I didn't want to run it. I didn't want to be anywhere near it. Um, I felt I needed to have some time out, and that's what I did. So we sold the business. And because the business was so profitable, because uh, of all the other businesses I'd created on the side of it, that's the warehousing business, pick and pack, international parcels, same day, division. Um, we sold it for a very, very profitable sum in, in those days, um, which was, well, it was three and a half million pounds we sold the business for then. If you upscaled that now, it would probably double that, you know, seven to 10 million minimum on its turnover. And obviously the turnover would have grown. So we sold the business pretty quickly. Then I decided I'd take three months off. The challenge when you're young and you want to take three months off is that you get known in the industry you're in. So I was known in the industry as a sort of young whippersnapper who's come into the parcels industry, made this horrendous amount of money within four and a half years. And now I want to get out of it and sit on the beach. You know, that was the, that's what did the rounds. But of course, we're going back to still 1993. This is four years even before I had my first online business. So what happened was the, uh, the, the industry wouldn't let go of me. The logistics industry heard about what I'd done, and they wanted a slice of you know, what I'd been able to create. So I ended up becoming a consultant and working on fixed-term contracts with individual franchise parcel operations around the United Kingdom. And on a couple of occasions, I worked with management teams. So I was brought in and headhunted, but to be part of a management team that went in and actually closed parcel companies down because they were no longer profitable. We did our best to save them, but inevitably that was the plan was to have them closed down. I also worked for the French government. Uh, they had a division called Chronopost International. Chronopost International bought a bankrupt parcel firm in the UK because they had a way of getting around the mergers and monopolies commission. So again, I'm mentioning all these things for everyone listening in, Jeremy, that it's not just about doing a job and, and you know, you pick up all the other information around what you're doing. But I was passionate at the time about saving businesses, creating businesses for individuals, whether it was a corporate entity that needed my services or whether it was myself stepping back in to start another courier business. But I was kept within that business. So even when I started my first online business in 97, because I loved the technology that was coming along, we were already using data streaming for moving data from parcel depot to parcel depot and head office to hubs and you know, all of that, you know, massive server rooms. And I used to talk quite a lot with the uh, IT programmers at the companies I worked with. But I love that. I was so passionate about it. I enjoyed it so much. That's ultimately what led me to think I could probably do some of this myself as well. 
So that was the consulting. And I still do consulting today. It's part of my mentoring package that I offer both international clients and UK based clients. You know, they can have and book phone calls with me. They can retain me in their business for a month, three months, 12 months if they uh, see the value. Most people come on and do a call with me and, and retain me for at least three months in their business. And then it, should I decide that I can help them over and above three months and they want me to be in their business, then obviously, you know, bespoke deals are done. Because again, the formula, as I said, right back at the beginning of this podcast is the formula is exactly the same. It doesn't matter what business you have. You just have to be passionate about it. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, like your story is just incredible. But I think, you know, if you look back at your life, Mark, what do you think made you successful? Because I guess the way I, I frame this question is there's another Mark out there who's came from the same family, you know, had the same pressures, but is a completely different person you know, and maybe had no motivation, didn't want to do anything. And then there's the version that you chose, which is you. Um, how did that happen? <laughs> I suppose if I take away the fact that my family being a business family gave me a lot of inspiration, I know you use the word motivation, but motivation engenders in, in, in that you've got to be inside somebody to get them to be motivated. Inspiration is that, you know, by my conversation today, I'll, I'll drop a little nugget into someone's mind and they'll track me down and they'll see some of the things that I'm doing. And I think that's really interesting enough. It inspires, it pulls people forward. And I've always been that sort of person. I've always been a person, not just that, I don't lead because I lead from the front. I lead because I'm guiding people in the right direction to success. Um, for example, I've never written a book. Um, I have a big library, you know, not, not far from where I'm sat now. I have a good sized library with many hundreds of books. Uh, and I have many authors that I follow and support, but I've never written a book. And the reason I've never written a book is that although I enjoy reading a book and I enjoy the authors that I've read, my thoughts are I'm a today businessman. You know, what's happening today? What's happening next month, next year? You know, what software is in development now? It's no good creating a book, writing my life story and history to go on a shelf because it's, it's old news. That's why it's called history. You know, it's his story. It's his story from old. What I want to be doing with individuals is working with them and spending my time and motivating and inspirationing them into stepping forward, realizing that they have all that potential inside them. They just haven't met the right person yet, like myself, to bring it out of them and support mm -hmm. them and give them the right guidance. And that's what I enjoy doing. I very much enjoy seeing people listen to something I say, taking action in the present moment, there and then, and doing something with that information. So, so I guess with a lot of the, you know, students that you've taught and, and people that you've mentored, like what are the biggest challenges that you often see people face or new entrepreneurs face a lot of them is they don't believe in themselves enough they have an idea they do the worst thing possible which is to speak to their family and friends um and if their family and friends are not on the same page the idea can be oh you don't want to do that oh no mm -hmm. oh that's that's you know you're going to lose everything if you put your money in there or you get the other side of the coin where somebody has an idea, which is quite a nice idea as a hobby project, but it's not a business. And again, they speak to their family and friends and they're like, that's superb. Yeah, you want to go and do that. You know, and they go and sell everything they've got. They go and work in their garage 24 seven and it doesn't work out. Now we could look at gar garages as a good example, isn't it? I mean, Walt Disney started in a garage, Steve Jobs started in a garage, you know, mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos started in a room selling books, you know, all, all of these, massive billionaire success stories are amazing and that's and it is amazing that you know steve jobs and steve wozniak and their other business partner at the time you know pulled a load of capacitors together put them in a wooden box 
And, you know, I only use Apple equipment, by the way. I'm, I'm here on one of my 27-inch Macs here. I've got another one by the side of me and smaller machines to the right. I've got iPads. <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got my iPhone. You know, it's the whole thing. I'm a, I'm a big Apple fan because of Steve Jobs, not just because it's Apple, because mm-hmm. of his what he did and where he came from and what he went through as a business person and, you know, how they took him out of his business at one point, you know, and he was brought back in. We all know the story. Um, I feel like I was going off on one there. I was, doing his, I was doing his biography for him, but an incredible businessman because he was focused on one thing in his head. And that was his product. What's the best product? Speak to somebody who's got a Samsung or a Huawei P40 or whatever they're in nowadays. They'll probably not agree with that. Um, but his product for individuals that get what it's all about and the history of that product is the reason that I stick with it. It just works is, you know, what I always say to people. 100%. And I think another thing with Steve Jobs is he really believed in himself. Like I read, he had this reality distortion field. Um, like this, I, like he used to think that he could like kind of change reality. Like, and I think he was also great at sales. Like that's another point, like just seeing how he sold Apple, the presentations he made, how much he yeah. believed in himself. Uh, so what role does sales play in entrepreneurship? Well, before sales, I mean, the thing to remember is there's sales and marketing, and they often get put together as a statement. You know, it's the sales and marketing departments. Thing to remember, of course, is they're completely different functions. Marketing is all about creating the buzz. It's mm. all about getting the brand name out there. There's, the, you know, whether it's a good advert, a bad advert, good press, bad press. You know, one, you know, Apple, classic example. Some people love Apple. Other people dislike Apple immensely. You know, but Apple has still got their name out there. And, and so it's all about marketing, marketing, marketing. Sales, and, and where uh, our paths crossed, Jeremy, obviously all those months ago, is, is purely taking the cash. It's purely coming up with a deal. It's purely looking at the sales process and not just saying, um, you know, this, uh, this iPhone you can purchase is $1,000. Yeah, it's $1,000 if it's 256 gigabytes of memory or whatever. You can have the half a terabyte one for $1,200. And, you know, and then it's all the upsells and the downsells and the one-off, one-time offers, you know, that we're able to bring in, especially on online websites. And so many of us nowadays just take it for granted that, yeah, we click on a button and it says, oh, do you want an extra this? Click this, you'll get two bottles, um, you know, for the, for the price of one and or three bottles for the price of two or whatever the offer is. And all of this software and again, this is probably like the fourth time I've said it in the podcast, so I hope everyone's taking a note of this. It is so easy nowadays to create a website, a web-based business that has all of these tools plugged in automatically, literally copy and, you know, copy and duplicate stuff. Um, and as long as you've got a product or a service where there's a marketplace, well, the marketplace comes from doing your marketing. So again, it's very important for the individuals in business or thinking of starting a business, make sure that they're fishing in what I call target-rich environments, T-R-E's. You've got to fish in a target-rich environment. You know, it's no good, for example, going to uh, an Alaskan website and asking them if they want to buy buckets and spades to make sandcastles. You know, there's, mm-hmm. not, there's nothing there. Similarly, it's no good going to um, the Sahara Desert and asking them, you know, if they want some snowshoes. It might work on sand, but you get the gist of where I'm coming from, yeah? It's got to be something that people are looking for. And again, there are many websites available nowadays where you can search for data. It will tell you trending items, trending search terms. Pick up on those trending search terms. See if you can turn it into a product. See if Mm. you can turn it into a service. And if individuals think, well, yes, Mark, I could do that. I can do the research. I can find where the marketplace is, but I just don't have the money to create a product or to have some software created. Well, there's two things. 
Get a business mentor in your life. Sell them the concept and maybe, just maybe, they'll invest and they'll back your business and take, an op take the opportunity and have an investment share as well as a return on the investment. Other than that, go to marketplaces such as JVZoo or ClickBank, where you can become an affiliate, where other individuals have already created the product. They've created the sales funnel. They've created the copy. They've created the emails. All you have to do is share a link. So you share a link. If somebody buys a product through there, you get an affiliate commission. Some of my early days of working with some of my good old friends in America, people like Mike Filsane, Joe Jablonski, Tom Beale, and his team, Donna Fox, and all the other people who are part of the Groove.cm business nowadays, I was their top UK affiliate for several years and got invited to many of what they termed their affiliate appreciation weekends, which were just massive parties in Las Vegas for three days. And then, you know, we hung out doing um, a conference style information sharing for the rest of the week. Some of those videos, unfortunately, I could say for me, shows me in my much younger days, are still on YouTube. And so people can go and search me down on YouTube and, and just, you know, type in affiliate appreciation weekend and you'll find me in, the, in several of their videos. Um, I've also eaten fire. Uh, for those that, you know, wonder how um, I wouldn't be doing it with this beard on, I hasten to add. Um, but in those days, I was clean shaven and, um, you know, eating fire on stage. You know, the things that you'd have <laughs> never thought of doing as an entrepreneur, you know. But it's about the people that you meet on those uh, entrepreneurial journeys as well and the meetings and the conferences. 100%. And I think, Mark, if, if you look back at your entrepreneurial journey till now, um, and, and this kind of relates to the podcast because it's about enjoying the journey, but like what do you think are some of the most memorable memorable moments for you or things that you've learned on this journey that uh you think that another life path wouldn't have the same lessons I suppose always being a leader from an early age meant that I was creating the path I wasn't following somebody else's path and that's why as a leader as an inspirator as a motivator as a mentor everyone that joins me they have a mind shift you know, a, a mind shift happens for them. That's what they tell me. You know, mindset is a wonderful thing, but if you don't know how to access the mindset in the first place, it just becomes a lot of, another load of mumbo jumbo in your brain. You know, the terminology that's used by certain motivational speakers online, if you're not attuned to that type of speech, it just becomes rah-rah. You know, jumping up and down, massaging each other's shoulders is all very wonderful. It doesn't actually build you a business that's sustainable, that's going to pay you an income. Um, and so that, that stuff tends to fade away. But it's, it looks good, you know, from marketing, of course, this is what it's all mm -hmm. about. What I would say uh, in terms of people that want to get started in business is be like me. Pick something that you're passionate about now. Other things will come along in your life. You will meet other business people. You will meet service suppliers that give you ideas for other types of business. Then you can mold your business or absorb that other business and do something with it. You have to be passionate about the business you also have to be passionate as an entrepreneur about making money that's the other key thing it's okay to be spiritual it's okay to for example want to set up yoga classes or yoga retreats mm -hmm. or pilates or uh, gym fitness coaching membership sites or whatever you have to be in love with the fact it's absolutely okay for you to make money even if your competitors aren't so, so i guess there's two things there but um like number one, why is passion important? And the second part is why is wanting money important? Because I guess like sometimes I'll be online on YouTube and you know, you'll see things that like money is like the root of all evil or it's a bad thing, like you shouldn't want it. Um, yeah, most people that say that are broke, Jeremy. 
bottom line. Anybody that has a property, anybody that has expenditures, they have to make money. Now, they'll be making money, um, even people on this podcast will be making money over and above what they need you know, for their expenditure. I get that. One of the things I teach in business is it's not always about making the money to make money. There are lots of ways you can have tax-saving benefits in business. So you actually are not paying as much tax savings as you need to pay out. So there's lots of ways. But you have to be in love with the fact that, oh, you know, what's a tax-saving way then, Mark? Oh, can you show me that one? And, and then they'll save some money. And they go, wow, I've just added a five-figure sum to my, my annual income. You know, And they're like, yeah, for doing just that, either ticking that box there or putting that piece of paper into your accountant. So you have to be... Um, you have to fall in love with making money if you want to be an entrepreneur. This is the thing we're talking about here is about being happy within business. And as you said about, you know, the passion part, but you have to be happy as an entrepreneur to make money. If you're not happy making money, then I would say to somebody, anybody, then you're not in the right mindset to be an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs take massive risks, Jeremy. You know? I could invest in someone's business X amount and it could all fall over and I lose my money. Does that mean I'm never going to invest in somebody else again? Of course not. You know, but what we have to do is invest in 10 things and have nine of them fail, but the one that wins really works. And that pays for all the failures and successes. Classic example is uh, Richard Branson, of course. You know, we know him for some of his more famous brands, uh, going back to Virgin Records. And when I ran the nightclub, I used to get records and I've still got them from Virgin Records. When they were signing up bands, they would send all the nightclubs, the dance records to play because you were promoting the band and you were promoting the Virgin Record brand as well. Um, I've still got those in my record collection. Incredible, to, you know, to play them. Um, so you got Richard Branson. Now he's known very well. As, he's well known, sorry, for his sort of top ten to twelve companies. But the last time I ever looked at it and investigated it, he's he's on about four hundred directorships of different businesses. And yeah. in fact, in the U, <laughs> the UK this year, a new one has just been launched. He's doing Virgin Cruises. So again, cruise liners. Holy, that's crazy. <laughs> So I guess there, Mark, but um, yeah, so like one thing you mentioned there was as an entrepreneur, you have to fall in love with like earning money or like taking risks to, because I think in a sense, like if you're helping your customers well, like I'm, I haven't got to this stage with my business yet, but I feel like if you're helping your customers well, like they'll pay you money and they'll like the product. But would you say that money, like if, if you take part the entrepreneurship side, does having money make you happy? Yes. Like, would you, so like, why is that? Because you don't have any worries. If you ask most people, if people are honest with you and you ask them what's their biggest worry, you might have the odd one that says public speaking, for example. Mm -hmm. Most people, especially after the last couple of years that everyone's had to endure globally, is a financial worry. Therefore, it is about money. And if you can take that financial worry away from your life, you have no sleep issues, you have no health issues, you have a much better time, your mind is clearer, I often say to people, we need to focus on making you your first million pound and we'll stick it in the bank. You know, we'll stick it somewhere safe, not necessarily a bank. It could be in gold bullion is actually what I recommend people put their, their finances. Yeah, I, I hasten to add the caveat. I'm not giving financial <laughs> advice to any listener. The value of your investments may go down as well as up. I'm just telling everybody what I do in my life. So I don't put money into banks. They don't pay us anything. And they do exactly the same with our money as I teach people to do. They gamble. They gamble it in reality. You know, stock markets, Forex, crypto, derivatives, CFDs, EFTs, you name it. They're out there doing it as we, we sit having this great chat today. So I say to people, you need to focus on putting that first million dollars or million pounds away, somewhere safe. You've made it, you're covered. Right, let's have fun now. Because you've got no worries. 
Mm-hmm. Your house is safe. Your payments are being made. Rental payments, mortgage payments, car payments, whatever. So your broadband payments, all your payments are all covered. Let's have fun. What's your passion? Then you look mm-hmm. at the passion and then you say, oh, can we monetize the passion? Are there enough people out there that want to learn how to, I don't know, fly fish? There's, you know, I don't fly fish personally, so that's why I'm just making it up. So, you know, are there enough people out there that want to fly fish? Well, let's go to some fishing websites and let's have a look at, you know, what people are looking to do this year. Oh, fly fishing seems to be big because apparently we're going to have some really massive salmon because no one's been fishing for two years because we were all told to stay in the house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those sort of things can then become a business. And if you're a, a, a massive fly fisherman or fly fisherwoman and you can create a membership site that's got great content in there where you can get, you know, people paying you $15, $20 a month as a membership access, you only need 100 people globally that are into fly fishing to be bringing in $2,000 a month. And that's how people can start to have their passion converted and monetized. Mm-hmm. And again, if someone says, Mark, I don't want my passion converted and monetized, it's, they're just not entrepreneurs, and that's fine. So, so I guess, in, so, so you'd say the game plan, though, is like first you get to a point where you're financially free, and then that enables you to pursue your passion. And I, I would say like in that sense, that probably makes you more successful because you're doing something you love and you have the freedom to do it. And I think the hard part for me is just, just as a young man, because I, I think getting to the point where you're financially free and you can follow your passion, I think that's a little difficult, but yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess here's another question for you, but if you had to go back to your 20s, let's say, or before, let's say you had to restart at zero, you know, zero dollars in the bank account, um, you had all the knowledge you had today, but you started off at 20, zero dollars in the bank account, what would you do? Okay, so just to make sure I get the story. So in my head, I'm 20 years of age. Mm-hmm. I've got all my knowledge that I have today, but I have, I'm starting with $0 in the bank. Yeah. Then whatever my passion was today at the age of 20 is what I would focus on to generate an income. And the benefit I have today, if I was 20 years of age in the year 2022, is that I have all this digital technology, which I never had as a child. Mm-hmm to reach out to people, to make new connections, to network with other well-known individuals that you may want to work with. You know, there are people that have set up businesses for influencers. You know, there are, there are companies where you can go to and you can pay a monthly subscription and you can get your product shared by influencers. Now, I'm not talking necessarily Kim Kardashian and all those other top celebrity names, but names that are big on the internet, names that you'd, you'd have no idea who they are. And then you find out they've got 10 million followers on YouTube or something, yeah? And they're quite happy to promote to promote your fly fishing kit. Here's a fly fishing kit. You need this kit. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and then before you know it, you've got another 1,000 sales or whatever it is. Uh, and then once you get your 1,000 sales, that's a 1,000 new customers, and you're selling them new products and additional products and fishing kits and flies and, you know, tackle boxes or whatever it might be. And then because you're selling so many of a particular product, you'll go to the manufacturers and you'll do a direct deal and say, hey, I've got a 1,000 people here that are happy to buy this particular type of fishing rod, what's the best deal you can do for me? Or can you drop ship it and set up drop shipping is another easy way, you know, in this 21st century for people to make money. Going to companies that are happy to send their product to your customer, white labeled or with your own name on it, and you receive a commission for that sale. Because that's what business is. It's just about selling products or services. Mm-hmm. But you have to be but you have to be passionate about it. 100%. So I guess in that situation, you would like if you were 20 and you had zero dollars in the bank account, you would 
find your passion or, or an area of your passion, and then you would pretty much get into the e-commerce space of selling a product related to that passion. Yeah, because it's easier to create um, a global business nowadays than just trying to work in your local neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if your passion is horticulture, you know, gardening, um, creating vegetable patches or whatever, you can only do that in your local area and train locally. But there's nothing that would stop somebody doing all of that, recording it, and then creating a membership site to show others how to create, you know, the perfect um, legume, uh, you know, the perfect lettuce, the perfect potato, or, or whatever it, it may be. There's nothing that stops. That's just another multiple stream of income, by the way, I've just created, you know, creating a membership site. You know, I have a, a mastermind where I've got members from all over the UK. And, you know, they pay every month to be part of the mastermind. They get direct access to me over and above what somebody can try and you know, message. If someone tries to message me through Facebook, through Messenger, they're probably going to get my support team and they'll just get a standard reply. I have a facility for people to book a complimentary call with me or to book a paid call where I'll go a little bit more into information for them. But the membership site and everything else that I share gives me a residual income, which is just part of the overall package of all of the businesses. So if I chat to somebody on the phone and they want a little bit more and they don't know if mentoring's quite for them, I'm like, well, I'm not going to oversell it to you. If it's not ready, if you're not ready for me, I'm not ready for you. But I'd recommend you have a look at the membership site. Have a look at what you get in the membership area, the products, the services, or the software that I offer for free. And then you'll get to know me more. I'll get to know you more. And quite often over my years, Jeremy, I've met people where what they believed was their passion in the first place when I met them wasn't. It was actually just something they talked a lot about. Mm -hmm. And I got to know them a little bit more and they let their guard down. Let's put it that way. And they started talking about other things. They were actually more passionate about the other things. Because quite often people will put on a front when they first meet you. They, 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 they turn up in their alternative self. They don't turn up in their real me. Now, I'm quite real. I'm quite direct in business. People listening to this podcast might be, oh, that guy sounds a bit direct. I am direct, but for the right reason. I'm direct. I'm not, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but I am someone's cup of tea if they want to make some money. Mm -hmm. If they want me to massage their ego and tell them, oh, they're there, everything's going to be fine. That's not me. I'm very sorry. There are plenty of business consultants that will be happy to take your coin and, and pat you on the back and go there, there. That's, that's not, there's, no, there's no point in that. You know, things happen in life. Things happen in life, as I shared about my uh, tragedy when I was 24, and, and things happen in other people's business lives. So what we have to do is very quickly learn from the error, the mistake, the situation that occurred. Who'd have thought everyone was going to get locked down for a couple of years and the businesses that went bust? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we hear figures of the number of businesses that close on a regular year, you know, annually in a country. Um, I think even in, uh, uh, you know, I know you're in, um, you're not in America per se, but, you know, in a, I think America is something like 1700 businesses a day or something closed down, some horrendous wow. figure. It, it's around about, yeah, I think it's a, it is, a, it's a horrendous figure in the first 12 months. And that's really um, because they set a business up, which maybe they felt they were passionate, but they didn't see if there was a market for it. Mm -hmm. Like I said, you can't go to the Sahara Desert and set up a store selling snowshoes and, and gloves. It's just not gonna, it's just not gonna work. And so quite often when you look at some of the businesses that have closed down, um, there is a reason for that. And it was just generally that they they got either the business model wrong. It's very rare, or yeah, or they may have had a tragedy in their life and they've had to step away from running the business. So I'm not belittling mm -hmm. everybody that loses a business. What I'm suggesting is should somebody be in that situation, they just need to have a business mentor they can turn to before it happens, pick their brains, ask them, where do you think it's going wrong? I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Okay, have you considered this? Have you looked at this as a marketplace? 
you know, somebody like myself, and there are other great business mentors out there as well. But the one thing that I'm told I have a very good gift of is to do a helicopter overview of someone's business and very quickly work with them to put a blueprint in place to save the business or sell the business and come out of it so it doesn't have to close down. Yeah, and then there's a lot that you touched on there, but I think one thing I've, I've just learned from having this conversation with you, Mark, is the importance on passion and the importance on finding like a target, like finding matching the right target with your product. And uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I never really thought like passion was that important, but now that I'm hearing it, it's very clear in your life that you followed your passion and it changed throughout time. Uh, and it, that kind of made you successful because you just have the grit to overcome difficulty. And I guess even coming back to grit, uh, coming back to hardships too, but how did you deal with business hardships, personal hardships? Um, what advice would you have to someone maybe who's watching this and they just lost their business or they just had something personally happen to them? Um, how do you bounce back from failure? The fact that somebody had a business to start with shows that they had the get up and go at the time to set that business up. So if they have lost a business or something's happened where they no longer have the business, they still have it within them or within themselves, you know, to bring that back out. You, you then need to turn to people who you can connect with. So if not a business mentor, you know, somebody who's lost their business, maybe listen to this podcast or somebody who knows them that's lost their business might be going, but Mark, they've lost the business. They've got no money. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. What, what, what we're doing in this conversation, Jeremy, of course, is jumping into what would happen if, but what we should be looking at is if we're on the run up to somebody losing their business, what should they be doing at that point? Because not many people go from trading fine on a Friday night to not opening the door on a Monday morning. There's something that's happening on the way towards that decision to close the business. Unless, as I say, heaven forbid, somebody passes away, you know, then they're not mm -hmm. there to open the door. But generally, they know that the business isn't going right. But what they tend to do is invest in what I found in my experience, and this is my experience, bigger businesses start to do the wrong thing. Business owner can't fix a problem, so he employs a manager to come in and fix the problem. They then select the wrong manager to fix the problem who can't fix the problem, so he then hires a supervisor, and the supervisor comes in. Now, he's third in command now, and the supervisor can't fix the problem because he's blaming everybody on the shop floor. But the person that owned the business knew that the problem was the people on the shop floor, so what he should have done was get somebody in that deals with people. And they don't do it. They go for the easy route. Human nature is we'll go for the route of least resistance. Human, human beings are inherently lazy. That's why we enjoy the lifestyle when we make money. We can employ people. We have software that runs um, you know, our automation processes. That's the reason that so many people are out of work over the last 100 years, because somebody invented a robot, and the robot does the job of 20 men or women. You know, we're inherently lazy. Not that the 20 people were lazy for losing their jobs, but somebody thought, I know, I'll create an item that makes, you know, it's a lazy thing. It, it doesn't answer your back. It doesn't go on strike. It doesn't want holiday or maternity cover or paternity cover. You know, it just does it unless the hydraulic hose breaks down, of course, then that's a different story. But can you see where I come from? Yeah, it's, it's, it's about doing what you need to do before your business is in trouble. Don't wait until the last moment reach out to somebody, have a conversation with them, join a business networking club if there's one in your area, go and have a chat with other business owners, don't be afraid to say to somebody, well, I'm in a similar niche as yourself, but it's not working for me. You know, it seems to be working for you, your, your, your car lot, you don't seem to have many cars on there. 
oh, that's because I do this. I, I utilize YouTube to sell my car. I utilize, have you seen this app that's available on your iPhone? You can record the car and you can send it direct to your prospects and you got them ringing straight away because it's the model that they were waiting for. Oh, I never thought about that. You know, there's lots of things that people do and they don't have the answer, Jeremy, because they're just not mixing in the right circles. 100% and I guess um, just coming back, like let's say when someone first does get successful, like is there anything they should avoid doing? Um, like, for example, in your early 20s, uh, like, because I feel like if that's, yeah, if you're like a young person who has, with a lot of money, like that's probably a little yeah. risky. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the, I became very wealthy. You know, I was financially secure at 18, remember, you know, making all the money I did at the nightclub um, because my, my premises were paid for as part of the deal. And I made all the extra 50% of all those extra uh, club nights that we had, you know, I, which enabled me, as I say, to buy my first house cash outright you know when i was 18 and a half yeah. um but i did go down the um the route of spending a lot you know it was but it was club days you know it was i was into dancing and nightclubs and lasers and bright flashing lights and loud music and all the the big club nights around the united kingdom um but i was fortunate enough that i was financially secure if you like i'd put that million pound in my savings already so i was buffered so i could go out and spend considerable amounts of money at weekends I still do that now. You know, if I'm with people, I'll pick up a, a lunch tab. It, it's irrelevant of the number of people and the figure that it is. You know, mm -hmm. if I've got if I've got value from a meeting with somebody, I'll invest in that value. You know, I'm not one of these um, individuals that will take a, a, a bill and, and split it seven ways and then say, well, I only had the bread crackers. You know, I didn't have the soup. And, you know, I'm like, whatever. There's 10 of us. We divide it by 10, if anything, job done. Or you're all arguing, give me the bill and I'll cover the bill. You can get it to me, you know, get me next time. Um, mm. And that's what we have to do. So if you make a lot of money when you're younger and, and whatever the demographic of listener is to, to your podcast now, whether you're young and make money now, whether you're older and you come into making money now, just make sure you've covered the things you need to cover and only spend what's left over. So, you know, you can put, there are certain people that do different formulas online, you know, put a third away, spend a third, invest a third. Mm -hmm. Definitely make sure that you've got some way of generating um, either long-term growth or immediate income from assets. That's why I mentioned at the beginning, I, I jokingly said, put your money in a bank and then retracted that. You know, my money doesn't go into a bank. My money goes into buying gold bullion. That's not, that's not um, coins. That's not these little carrot bars that you can buy. There are companies out there and they do very well. Um, mm -hmm. I'm on about people going directly and buying bullion at wholesale prices and then uh, sitting on that bullion. Classic example, and, and I know that this podcast will last for many, many years, um, but just in February of this year, the value of gold went up by five and a half thousand dollars per bar in one month. Oh, so, so like why why would you get gold bullion as opposed to let's say stocks or crypto? Like is is that because of inflation or, or yeah, or... so yeah, yeah. So um without getting too complex for your listeners, because some might not be into buying any gold bullion or stocks or shares or anything. When you when you think about gold bullion, it is an inflationary item. It's a, it's a tangible item. You know, my money, my my gold sits on pallets in a res, in a reserve vault. Uh, and you can, when you buy the bullion, you can choose where you want it stored. It could be in New York, it could be in Switzerland, it could be in London. Um, you know, they have a number of different storage units around the globe. So you are physically buying gold. It's not an intangible um, invisible uh, sort of fiat gold business. So um, besides the gold, you look then at, uh, you mentioned stocks and shares. The challenge with stocks and shares is that you're investing in nothing in reality. 
You're investing in a business that's already existing to try and help them to raise funds for something that they're doing. So there's a, there's a business, it's already generating revenue and turnover. It's a much longer burn to get your returns, even if it's a company that's paying dividends. And then for the companies that are paying good dividends nowadays, you think about Warren Buffett, you know, one of the most successful in investors on the planet, you know, uh, with Barclay Hathaway and, the, and how he set that company up and the billions that they hold in reserve. When you hold billions in reserve, it's very easy in one day, you know, to make 50 million profit because mm -hmm. you've got the billions and you're moving the billions around. So that, that's quite easy to do. It's not so much. It's not so easy for an individual trader working from home. Cryptocurrency, <clears throat> excuse me, cryptocurrency is a new thing and, and some individuals don't understand fully how it works. Um, to be fair, you don't need to understand fully how it works. You know, I understand the blockchain and the algorithm and it takes so many processes and every everyone that's on there mining for Bitcoin, they earn a little bit of money, you know, as, uh, and, and with NFTs that have come along, non-fungible tokens, there are gas charges as it's called, that's for processing your item into an NFT. You know, blah, it's like blah, 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 blah. We don't need to understand that. What we just need to be looking for are these coins that have something behind them, something backing them in terms of a business opportunity, as opposed to a funny coin that's called a funny name that everyone invests in. You generally find that they are what they call pump and dump coins. You know, you buy them for one cent this morning, they become a dollar by midday, you know, you've 100% your money, and then all of a sudden by tomorrow morning, it's crashed, gone, and you know, you're less than you know, 0.5 of a cent. There are lots of coins like that. So when I teach people uh, by use, so when I say people, when I teach my clients um, is how to spot up and coming trends on certain coins. And again, I'm not on about coins that are costing hundreds of pounds or hundreds of dollars. You can pick up coins, you know, for, for a cent, you know, two, a pet, one pence, two pence in UK money. Um, and you can easily quadruple or even in some cases more than 100 percent, you know, 100 X your money. Mm -hmm. And if someone's got 50 dollars to play with, well, by tomorrow morning, they could have 500 dollars. And then you diversify. You don't put the $500 back into the same coin. You have a look at five other coins that's up and coming. It's a bit like taking your $50 play money. And we don't stick it on black and red in the, on the roulette table all the time. We do a little bit on there. Then we go and maybe do a bit of blackjack or we do a little bit of something else, or a little slot machine, because there might be a chance of getting the million pound jackpot on the slot. You know, it's just about moving the money around, mm. utilizing that asset that you've created. 100%. And yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of crypto too, because... I guess up here in Canada, there is like an event where uh, the government closed like people's bank accounts. <laughs> and, and that really just opened my eyes and just made me realize, yeah, like cryptocurrency is probably very like, you should have like maybe a lot of your net worth there just to protect yourself yeah. or, or something that's not related to like the banking system. One of the first so, things that I teach my new clients, Jeremy, is where it sounds on a podcast, it's going to sound a bit rude, but it's where do you keep your money? Where do you keep whatever you've got left over at the end of the month? Where do you mm -hmm. keep it? Nine times out of 10, my clients say to me, it just sits in my current account. You know, my salary's paid in, my bills go out, and whatever's left is left there. And I use my debit card, or your credit card, whatever, to live month to month. And then those bills are paid off from the balance. That is not making your money, you know, work smarter for you. The banks are happy to trade what you've left in their accounts because they've got millions of customers, which means they have billions of pounds available to them. And they'll happily go and trade it on crypto, as I said, or oil or derivatives mm -hmm. or futures, um, you know, all the different things. And you've only got to look at some of the films that have been made over the years. You know, the films on the, the UK Bearings Bank, you know, how quickly, you know, that went bust and eventually closed down. And, you know, that was one of the Queen's banks, you know, one of the royal family banks. And that went after hundreds of years. 
So anybody that wants to think that a bank opportunity is better than a 21st century crypto opportunity really need to do a little bit more research for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this has been just such an interesting conversation, Mark. Like I've learned, I feel like I've just pulled away so many things like passion, your target market, and even this idea in like, um, like wealth and like cryptocurrencies. Like I, I need to do more research too, but I, I just definitely agree with you. But um, I guess where, where can people find you online and learn more about you? They could go to Facebook. I'm on there. Um, fa my Facebook account, I think this year now, is about 10 years old, 11 years old, maybe. LinkedIn, I've been on there for 20 years this year. One of the oldest accounts um, from when LinkedIn joined the UK. They can um, reach out to me via the Mastermind website if they want to go to millionairemastermind.co.uk. Um, they can contact me via any links that we're able to put on this podcast on, online as well, Jeremy. Um, you know, I love working with new people and having conversations with individuals. You never know where your next business is going to come from. You know, some one of, one of your listeners now could have a great business idea. They just need a little bit of investments or a top up on investments. And whether that investment is within my budget, you know, they, they might want 50 million to build a casino. Well, let's look at crowdfunding. You know, lots of people crowdfund. Um, you know, I do a lot of charitable work as well every year. I donate to charities. I'm also part of a charity here in the United Kingdom that helps victims of domestic violence. So we're in the process of creating safe houses around the United Kingdom based on a new, um, uh, a new way of creating them is what, what I'm saying. Um, we get to open the first one, but I was approached because of my specialist skill sets in property and commercial property, real estate, obviously, for those that um, are uh, overseas. And, you know, having been through the usual inverted commas application process getting to know people you know know like and trust you know i've been appointed their special projects advisor and, it, and it's an amazing opportunity for me that's all pro bono you know i'll make phone calls on behalf of the charity i then don't put an invoice into the charity i didn't go oh i'm here to help you and by the way there's my invoice um you just never know um where your next contact will come from and the spin-off from the charity is that some of the individuals i've spoken to now are TV celebrities who I've known on the television and now I'm in a phone call with them. Um, you know, who knows where that could lead to? Not suggesting I'm going to be um, the next Glenn Stearns or Grant Cardone, you know, on my own TV show, but you just never know where an opportunity or a, a five-minute soundbite live on, on national television could take your business opportunity. And again, for everyone listening to the podcast, I have to use, you know, Richard Branson's very famous saying, say yes, then figure out the how. Don't be known as somebody that's always turning things down because your brain thinks, I'm not quite sure. I need to work it out first. Then I'll let you know. Fine. I've moved on to somebody else to ask them the same question. The first person that I say, I do it from stage. When I do my stage presentations, there's a, a little process that I use to get the room engendered and engaged with me so that they understand where I'm coming from. And one of those is I hold a business card up and I ask people, what is the value of this business card if they want to come and take it from my hand? And nobody, nobody does because everyone's looking at everybody else. And mm. then I'll say the value of this business card is £30,000. That is six months worth of mentoring with me. Who wants to take my business card and be mentored for free? What do you think happens when there's a stampede? Yeah. yeah? <laughs> and that's, that's just, a, you know, it's the same business card is what I'm really teaching people. It's the same. It's how you put a proposition across. Mm. It's how you get people engaged. And for those people that missed out on the first business card, then naturally there's a downsell because I'm teaching people from stage how to sell. So the downsell is 
who would still like to receive six months of mentoring, but at a discounted price? Raise your hand. They put their hand up. Take a card. Take a card. On the back of the business card is one call to action. It's got my name and it's got the business builder on the front because that's the brand name that the media called me years ago. On the back, there's just one call to action. And that call to action drives them to a website. Now, in the old days, it would have driven them to a phone number to ring an office address where we'd answer the call and we'd have a script and we would close people out for the business. We don't have to do that now. There's a website and the website has a sales funnel and that person can come on board. They can join my mastermind group. They can pay for a whole year in advance if they like and save even more money, but they still get exactly the same support and service and back office information within the membership area, as well as the monthly calls that we have. It's all marketing and it's all sales. 100%. And I guess there's two more question, quick questions I have. I know we're going, we're going a little bit over time, Mark, but um, just, yeah, one is just networking. I'm having a great time, Jeremy. I hope, <laughs> I hope your listeners are still tuning in or they've paused us and they pick up some handy tips afterwards. There's so yeah. much that we could go through, you know, on different topics. Just, just to reiterate, on the banking side, I talk to my clients, as I said, about where do you put your money? That's mm -hmm. because... So many people don't realize how the banking industry works. So many people don't realize that mortgages are created out of thin air. You know, you buy your house for $250,000. You only created that $250,000 yourself when you signed the mortgage contract. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have a business which is all about helping people get their mortgages written off now in the United Kingdom because how the lenders have broken their own banking rules for the last number of years. So I have a company called UK Mortgage Refunds and we help legally to take what well any one of the 66 lenders in the united kingdom that have broken their own banking terms so that the owner of that mortgage gets reimbursed that either their mortgage or they get what's called a substantial benefit which mm -hmm. could be a mortgage repayments paid back it might be their mortgage written off you know these are real life businesses that i'm operating and, and by the way anyone listening that goes and uh, google searches uk mortgage refunds that's just another way of finding me is, is what i'm suggesting um well, yeah, sorry. Back back to the other two questions, Jeremy. I'm fascinated by what these two will be. <laughs> well, no, 100%. And I definitely agree with you, Mark. I think, like, even just thinking back when I was in school, like, finances, business, all these areas, sales, marketing, like, I, mean, I never really got taught this. Like, I'm new to all of this. So this is, uh, like, I'm a, I'm a complete beginner, but I wish that, like, we, we'd learned about the banking system. We learned about, like, finances. We learned about debt. Like, I got, I got into a lot of debt when I was just at school and it was just a nightmare, <laughs> a complete nightmare. Um, but yeah, like I just, now that's why I'm so like uh, fascinated about learning about this because it's just help, helpful stuff. Um, and that's why I love entrepreneurship or I'm just getting into it, but that's why I love it so far. But um, yeah, I guess two things I wanted to touch on. Number one was networking. Uh, you've networked with a lot of people. And if you had to teach someone how to network, how, how, what would you say to them? Join a local networking group. Now, obviously, I can only refer to ones we have in the UK. Um, there was one that started up way before LinkedIn. In fact, this year would have been their 26th anniversary. And that was a company called Academy. They were the first online LinkedIn lookalike company is the best way to you know, describe them. You could share information. You had an account. You could put a profile. It was a membership-based program. You had free membership or you had what was called a Blackstar membership. I was a Blackstar member. And that gave you a little bit of you know, kudos within the community. And that ran very successfully for many years. Of course, then LinkedIn came across and they had the free model. 
You know, link, bearing in mind, LinkedIn hasn't made any profit in reality. It has in the last few years because Microsoft bought them and everything sponsored ads now, and that's where they get their revenue from. But they, they basically took over and it wiped out Academy. But I'm still friends with Thomas and Penny Power, who created Academy. 26-year friendship. We were all chatting only a few days ago online about the fact it was Academy's birthday. Um, so that was one site. Obviously, LinkedIn is another site to visit. Now, my LinkedIn account is 20 years old this year. I have something in the region of 16,000 connections and whatever number of other followers, four or 5,000 followers. Does that mean that I have 20,000 phone calls a week? Absolutely not. But what I do have is very clever automated software that works on my behalf and does first point of contact reach out. So with my existing contacts, if I have a new business and I want to reach out to everybody, I can go to my existing list through the automated software and reach out to them. And that's the other thing that everybody on this call needs to think about with their business and their, their passion for their new business. How can I automate the tasks? You know, you don't want to be the person making the phone calls if you can find a piece of software that will reach out and make the contact through a messaging system or an email system. And I'm not talking about spamming people, by the way, just in case someone thinks that I have a massive spam um, software set up. I'm not about reaching out to people that are existing connections of some sort. Facebook is a great example. I have some amazing tools that I use from a, a, an American gentleman who's based out of India. He owns his own software company. And all the tools that he creates are to help individuals reach out to customers through Facebook. Facebook, of course, don't like any automated tools. So his particular tools I had to trial for many months before I started giving them away to my clients. Because as I said earlier, that's what I do. If I find a tool that works for people, I'll pay for the license as part of the mentoring and I will give them the tool to use. And there are some great little tools. So you know, never be afraid of automating your business through tools as well. 100%. And I guess for, for the last question here, Mark, uh, so this is a kind of a strange one, but let's say that right now the whole world could hear one message from Mark Walker on a billboard. What would that message be? And it could be for entrepreneurs. It could be for every single, any, any person. It could be for older people, younger people, um, whatever you want to say. Classic line from a very amazing gentleman who's, who passed away a good number of years ago now, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Don't die with the song still within you. That's it. Don't live your life wishing, if only I'd have done this, if only I'd have tried that, if only I had this. Don't live the if lifestyle. Live the do it, get support. If it doesn't work, go, hey, it didn't work. What have I lost? I didn't have it yesterday. I haven't got it today. Let's try something else. Most of all, don't die with the song still within yourself. And ultimately, find a good business mentor. There are plenty on LinkedIn. Be careful of the ones that their business mentoring is their only form of income, of course, because mm -hmm. generally they've maybe done a course or they've bought a franchise. Nothing wrong with franchises. Remember, I started my life with a franchise. But in terms of coaching, you need somebody with the experience, somebody that you can look up to and think, I, I wouldn't mind emulating that person to a certain degree. You know, that person's got experience in this or that. Or, you know, I can, uh, from my business experience, and you, you talked about this earlier, Jeremy, I have a vast range of bespoke products that I give to my clients based on what I've done. I'll never teach something I've never done. If somebody has, a, I think I've covered this first part of the call. Um, you know, if someone wants me to teach them about brain surgery, I'm not the person for them. But I probably know a surgeon within my LinkedIn contacts that might be able to give them some help and advice. If somebody wants their business to grow from scratch, I'm your man. If somebody has an existing business that's failing, I'm your turnaround expert. If somebody has, just has no idea where to start, 
Come and join my mastermind. That's what it's all about. Come and be around other like-minded entrepreneurs. Have a look what's going on. Um, pick their brains. Have a look in the, the mastermind support area and see what information you can glean from there that helps you. And then pick up and benefit from having somebody like myself and my other connections. Bearing in mind, whilst I'm a successful high net worth business person, I have other successful high net worth business people in my life. They're not necessarily the Richard Bransons or the Jeff Bezoses of the world, but they are multimillionaire, individual multimillionaires with property portfolios, with multiple businesses, with great lifestyles. Um, and, and ultimately, people that invest in themselves for me are people that I'll happily support in any way I can. Whilst they're a part of my life, I'm a part of their journey. 100%. Well, I guess with that, Mark, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Zenfolds podcast. Uh, I just really appreciate your time. And even in this conversation, I've just learned so much about uh, just pretty much your attitude towards being willing to do things, taking taking risks and just having a passion. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's really eye-opening to see because you see someone who succeeded with having passion. And uh, yeah, that's going to definitely help with some things that I'm doing. So I really appreciate you, Mark. And uh, I know we'll be connected and uh, I'll probably be, <laughs> yeah, I know we'll be connected and we'll be doing more stuff down the line, but um, yeah, I really appreciate your time, Mark. Well, I, no, I really appreciate having the opportunity to share some of my story. I'm just a guy that has a story. It just seems to have worked for me. And if anybody listens to the podcast, picks up a couple of golden nuggets that helps them, great. If they want to reach out by yourself, Jeremy, to, you know, to book a call with me or have a further chat, that's what I believe we're here to do. I think if we have a solution in life and we don't share it, that's selfishness. I have no challenge sharing ideas with people. I'm not going to necessarily attach an invoice to it. If somebody wants some bespoke one-to-one -one stuff, they need help, support, et cetera, guidance. That's different. If somebody has an idea about something, absolutely. You know, I, I, would be, I would not be being congruent if I said I'm not going to help in anybody that's taken their own time today for however long we've been having this amazing chat to then turn my back on that person. I'll happily help any of your followers and listeners. And of course, I do thank them. Whoever you are listening to this, I thank you for your time as well today. 100%. And there you have it, guys. There's Mark Walker. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode of the Zen Plus podcast.